Welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast, hosted by Renew. This is Chris with you again. Really just grateful and thankful to be with you today, and we have another great show for you now. In this episode, Guy Hammond, who is with us for our 2022 National Gathering, takes on the topic of how tone is important in the LGBTQ conversation today. Guy gives a lot of really good practical life stories and applications into the subject and really helps Christians wrap their mind and their hearts around how they can love and share truth and grace in this topic today. Let's go ahead and check out what Guy has to say on this topic. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our class here today. If we can get our first slide up there, that would be great. Thank you very much. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Guy Hammond. I am a pastor from Canada and also the executive director of an organization that I started several years ago called Strength in Weakness Ministries, an organization that has two primary purposes. The first one is to help Christians who live with unwanted same-sex attractions, give them strategies to help live faithful lives for Jesus, and also to educate the church Christians on how to share the good news of Jesus with their gay friends and neighbors. I felt like uh, the church was doing a terrible job at that, there was a whole demographic of the world's population we were largely ignoring, not because we didn't care, but mostly because we didn't know what to say. And I thought, if anybody should have a hope-filled, spirit-filled message to the LGBTQ community, it should be Jesus' church. And I just felt like the LGBTQ people in our lives, and our families, people at work, at school, whatnot, they deserve better than what the church has been offering. And the church deserves better. And so I thought, you know, let's do something about it. So I started this ministry uh, you can certainly check out all our information at strengthandweakness.org. So our time is limited and we have a, a lot of stuff to cover, but we're going to be talking about the importance of tone in the LGBT conversation. And so probably a good place for us to start is actually right here. These are what's called the clobber passages. LGBTQ people accuse the church of clobbering them over the head with these five passages. These are the five scriptures that say definitively that homosexuality is not representative of what God intended for uh, human sexuality. Now, I could have thrown up the passage on there also in Genesis 19, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. I didn't put it up there. Quite honestly, I don't think using the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 is really fair. Uh, I don't think Sodom and Gomorrah, believe it or not, is really about homosexuality. Homosexuality in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah was a singular sin. Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50 makes it clear to us there was a lot of stuff going on in Sodom and Gomorrah as to why those two cities and three other cities of the plain were destroyed, so I don't think it's a fair uh, thing to put up there as showing that it says homosexuality is a sin. But these five passages very clearly show us that homosexuality is not what God intended for human sexuality. In fact, you cannot find a positive scripture anywhere in the Bible that talks about homosexuality in a positive light. Uh, so certainly my understanding of the traditional Judeo-Christian sexual ethic uh, is that Human sexuality is to be reserved between that of a man and a woman bound together only in marriage. Anything outside of that is not representative of what God intended for human sexuality. Now, look at this next slide here. It shows us that even though we only get five scriptures, there's quite a bit we can actually learn. You may think, well, five scriptures, that's not very much. But look at, you know, it's important to recognize these scriptures come from both the Old and the New Testaments. It shows us a consistency about how God felt about this over a 1,500-year span and from both the Old and the New Covenant. 
Also, it's important to recognize these scriptures were written by different authors, right? Paul and Moses to Hebrew uh, and Greek cultures, highly different cultures. Why is that important? Well, it's important because people today will say, well, guy, come on, you can't trust what the Bible says on things like homosexuality and sexual ethics. I mean, this is 2022. I live in the Nashville area. Uh, my world is very different. My culture is very different. So it's not fair to uh, you know, use these scriptures to show how God would feel about sexual ethics today. However, the fact that these come from both Testaments, were written 1,500 years apart, were written to highly different cultures, shows us that this is not a cultural subject. Uh, there are some things that just supersede time and culture. In other words, how God felt about sexual ethics 3,500 years ago when Moses wrote what he did, and how God felt about sexual ethics 2,000 years ago when Paul did his writing, uh, is still the same how God feels about sexual ethics today in 2022. It wouldn't have changed. There are some things biblically that just supersede time and culture. Uh, and this is one of them. And how God feels, will feel about sexual ethics a thousand years from now, provided that COVID and, I don't know, monkeypox doesn't get us all, uh, is still how God will feel about sexual ethics. Now, I know that's highly controversial. I know that's countercultural. I know the majority of people in our culture and society would say, we'd say we've lost our minds. I know there's a lot of questions here when it comes to this. Uh, here's the thing. I don't have all the answers. You know, I would like to think that when it comes to this topic and some of the things we're about to discuss, things would be very clear and very black and white. And, you know, uh, if I knew the, uh, all the answers, you know, that would be really helpful. Uh, next slide, please. Um, but you know what? I don't have all the answers. Uh, the truth is, I myself have to be willing to live within the tension of uncertainty on the things that we're about to discuss. Uh, but here is something, next slide, something I think we can all rely on that I would like to think we're all going to agree on. Whether you agree with me on everything I'm about to say or not, I don't know. But here's something I think we can all agree on, and that is this. Every person needs to be treated with dignity, kindness, and respect. Regardless of their response to Jesus, regardless of how they feel about the Bible, Jesus, church, uh, regardless of how they treat us, every person needs to be treated with dignity, kindness, and respect. I would like to think we're all going to agree on that. Now, those five scriptures that I showed you, uh, as I said, they're called the clobber passages. It's really unfortunate. Because the truth is, a lot of people who call themselves Christians have said and done things in the name of Jesus towards the LGBTQ community that Jesus would never say or do, and have used those five scriptures to clobber people. And what's so unfortunate about that is that God didn't put those passages on injunctions against homosexuality to clobber anybody. Those are not clobber passages. They're life preservers. God put those scriptures uh, there for us to have access to so that we would understand how the architect and designer of our lives intended for us to live in regards to human sexuality. And he makes it clear that homosexuality is not a part of that picture. But it wasn't God's intention that we, we, we slam people over the head with our big heavy Bibles about this, but rather that we offer this as a life preserver, letting people know that, you know, as it says in John 10.10, 10, Jesus came to give life and give it to the full. And, and, and for us to be able to do that, all of us have to submit our sexuality to Jesus. Just not the homosexually attracted people, but the heterosexually attracted people. I mean, welcome to the party. In order for us to have life to the full, we have to submit our sexuality to Christ. And uh, so I would like to say that 
you know, the way we're using these passages today and when we're talking about tone is not that we're trying to clobber anybody, but rather recognize that these are actually scriptures that Jesus wants us to use to be able to offer life and hope to people. Let me tell you a little bit about who I am. Uh, that's me in the middle there. Uh, I don't know where all the hair went, but that's me, uh, you know, when I was 21 years old. Uh, I started participating in homosexuality, believe it or not, at the tender age of 12, I don't know where it came from. Um, I will tell you as a point of personal history that I was uh, sexually molested by a man uh, when I was eight years old, uh, a police officer, actually. And, uh, you know, how much of a role that would have played in me becoming attracted to the same gender? I'll never know for sure. Certainly didn't help. But I recognized around the age of 12 that I was experiencing something that my friends weren't. I was noticing guys. My friends were noticing girls. I didn't even know what to call it at the time, but... Uh, it was very confusing for me. I grew up going to a church, and the only, I wanted to get perspective, but the only message I heard at the church I grew up in was, homosexual, homosexuals are wicked, evil, and going to hell. How, how's that for tone? Uh, that was the only message I heard in the church I grew up in. And so when I wanted perspective and help and some assistance on knowing how to deal with the fact that I was all of a sudden noticing guys, and I don't know where it came from, a church was not the place to go. Uh, I would love to have been able to get help from home. My dad is a really nice guy, real nice man, until it came to this subject. And uh, my dad was very homophobic, made it really clear how I felt about gay people. And, so, and I heard all the comments at home. So home was not a safe place to get perspective. And I spent a lot of nights as a teenager crying myself to sleep, unsure of what it was I had done to become to uh, have this capability that everybody seemed to hate and that was so wicked and terrible. Uh, I'll also tell you, I never chose to be attracted to, to guys. I don't think anybody chooses what you're attracted to. Attractions are automatic and, and mostly involuntary. There's hundreds of contributing influences that help determine what you and I are attracted to. How much of it is nature? How much of it is nurture? I don't know. We're not really sure. But I do know this. Nobody chooses what they're attracted to. Now, we are 100% responsible for what we do with our attractions that we're responsible for. But the attractions in and on themselves, you know, uh, that we have very little say over. Why do I mention that? Because today people will say, well, I feel like I was born this way. You know what? I know why they feel like they were born this way. It's because they didn't choose it. Uh, and so that should even also help us in tone. Anyway, by the time this picture was taken, I had given up on the idea of God, church, and Bible. Decided to move to Toronto, uh, Canada's largest city, and started crossing a lot of dangerous lines and uh, I, had a, I had had a boyfriend for almost 10 years. His name was Carl. And um, by the time this picture was taken, you know, when I went to Toronto, I just started having a lot of anonymous sexual encounters with men. And uh, embarrassingly, you know, the truth is, I don't know how many. It's in the hundreds, hundreds of times that I acted out with different men. By the time I was 24 years old, my life was a train wreck. And uh, I knew I needed intervention. I knew I, knew I needed some kind of help. I didn't know where to go. And of course, in God's perfect timing, he sent somebody who invited me to a church. And I was like, oh, church. I know all about church, how homophobic and bigoted all those people are. I do not want to go to church. But this guy kept bugging me. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go to this guy's church and check it out. And I went and I loved it. It was not like the church I had grown up in. And uh, I thought, you know, okay, um, maybe there's some hope here after all. But the thing is, is it took me two years Two years of going to church, two years of building relationships uh, with Christians, two years uh, 
uh, of me hearing the gospel, uh, all the while still living my gay life. And um, thank goodness that church was kind and hospitable enough to let me keep going. They were very welcoming and kind. And after two years, I couldn't stand the hypocrisy anymore. I knew I had to choose one or the other. I was either going to follow Jesus or I was going to go live my gay life full out, but I had to pick one or the other. And um, somebody was able to prove to me with an open Bible, you know, how much better Jesus was. And I finally decided I wanted Jesus more than I wanted my homosexuality. And so I was baptized. That was on August 15th, 1987. So that was 35 years ago. And I can tell you, I have not, I have not participated in any kind of homosexual activity uh, since my baptism three and a half decades ago. But here's the thing. I'm still attracted to guys. Hasn't even altered. I'm just as attracted to men today as the day I became a Christian 35 years ago. I don't know why God works the way he does. If I was God, I would do things very differently. But for whatever reason, God has said, Guy, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. And so I long ago gave up even the idea of trying to worry about it. Um, I'm homosexually attracted, so what? I mean, one thing that I never thought that would happen is that I would get married. I thought, if I'm going to... If I'm going to uh, want to enjoy intimacy in this life moving forward as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to have to do it uh, single because how would I find a girl? I've never kissed a girl, never had a girlfriend. I'm not even interested in girls. So I guess I'll just do this thing on my own. And then, um, you know, uh, there was a lovely lady in the church that I met and uh, we just became tremendous friends. And I couldn't imagine living my life uh, without her. Uh, Her name was Kathy. Kathy and I started dating and uh, it's true uh, I wasn't sexually attracted to her. Next slide, please. Wasn't attracted to her the way a uh, uh, heterosexually attracted man would be. But, uh, you know, I thought, am I going to have to miss out on, you know, this wonderful thing of relationship as a Christian just because I'm not attracted to women? I thought, no, I'm not going to allow that to be an identifying marker uh, of my life. Uh, Jesus is my Lord. He's my identity. And I can absolutely love a woman. Uh, I may not be attracted to her uh, physically, but there were so many things about Kathy I found attractive. It's true, I was deficient with physical attraction, but Kathy and I just decided, you know what, we're not going to, again, allow that to be a defining part of our relationship. So we raised a family, four kids, uh, and Kathy was just, uh, you know, a great partner in life for me, and uh, just loved living with her, and uh, tremendous mom to my kids, uh, and she was just absolutely incredible. However, uh, next slide, please. Uh, Kathy, um, there, she, there we are. That was taken um, in 2018. Kathy was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer. And, um, you know, given just, a, just a, a month, a couple months to live. And so she died very quickly. Uh, that picture was taken just a few months before she passed. And, um, of course, I just, you know, miss her uh, incredibly. Uh, but so grateful to God that he allowed me to be able to uh, experience all that life has to offer with uh, a beautiful Christian woman. And uh, so, you know, I-, I love showing the picture of my family because I do not deserve this. A man who is uh, having uh, unbridled, crazy, wild sex with all these men in parked cars and public bathrooms. I lived my life with no boundaries, no restraint, no guardrails, anything I wanted to do to make myself happy and feel fulfilled. That's what I went after in life. And uh, to be able now to look back and see what God has done is, uh, you know, truly uh, a miracle, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. So let me show you just my ministry, Strength and Weakness. Please check it out. Please go to our website. Tons of information on there. Uh, and um, the ministry is now grown to where we're helping thousands of homosexually attracted Christian men and women uh, throughout uh, the church. 
uh, and, and people who are dealing with trans issues uh, in, in over 90 countries around the world, in three languages, English, Spanish, and Portuguese. And uh, our, actually, our biggest ministry, believe it or not, is our parents' ministry for parents who've got gay children. And so we're offering a lot of help there also. But, you know, when we're talking about tone, here's, here's how I address this in the church in regards to our tone in the church and helping Christians who are homosexually attracted. Uh, it is just this. Uh, for the Christian, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. For the Christian, the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. When people in the church come to me and say that, you know, they're same-sex attracted and they're dealing with homosexual issues and these kinds of things, I'm like, so what? Who cares? Listen, this should not be a big issue. I don't think God stays up late at night worrying about what any of us are attracted to. There's no scripture in the Bible that says you have to be heterosexually attracted. There's a lot of us who live outside of the heterosexual mainstream. Uh, are, we can't be Christians? That's ridiculous. So for the Christian, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. It's holiness. I, a long time ago, gave up on the uh, idea that somehow I have to be heterosexually attracted in order to be able to please God. I tried that for several years in my young Christian life, you know, where I was really praying and hoping that God would make me attracted to girls. Never happened. Uh, and now I tell Christians, who cares? Don't worry about what you're attracted to. Um, listen, uh, what you need to do is honor God with your life, strive to live a holy life, trust in God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness like everybody else. Uh, don't allow this to be something that's going to uh, hold you back. A lot of people think it's homosexual attraction uh, and the church, and it's this. And I'm like, no, it's not that at all. It's this. Uh, in fact, there is a place for homosexually attracted Christians in the church. We need these people in the church. These pe the church is not complete without them. And so we need to create an environment in the church that is completely welcoming to people from the LGBTQ community so they can hear what it means to follow Jesus. There are other Guy Hammonds walking around out there. And so for the Christian, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, it's holiness. We're not trying to change what anybody's attracted to. We're just trying to help them embrace their relationship with God. Now, uh, here's, here's the thing. Um, for uh, our, the gay community, you know, I think there's a lot of misconceptions that uh, we have about the LGBTQ community. I think we've wrongly stereotyped uh, LGBTQ people. Now, fair enough, they've wrongly stereotyped us. I mean, they think that all Christians are homophobes and uh, bigots and, you know, right-wing religious nutjobs and we can't be reasoned with and we hate everybody. Uh, there are some Christians who fit that stereotype, but you can't paint all of us with that same broad brush. My experience has been, as I've traveled around the world, I teach workshops and classes. Uh, that's what I spend all my time doing, traveling around, uh, teaching in churches, faith-based groups, Christian colleges and universities. And my experience has been, as I've met Christians all over the world now, is that most Christians are not homophobic. Uh, it's just, they're uneducated. And what you don't understand, you pull back from, and you stereotype. And I think that's what's happened. But it's not that most Christians are homophobic. So they've wrongly stereotyped us. Mind you, we've wrongly stereotyped them. So most Christians assume that everybody who's gay is, um, you know, mean and angry and an activist, and they just want to fight and argue. They're unreasonable, and, uh, you know... They all want to be on a gay pride parade float, and uh, you know that's that's everybody in the LGBTQ community. That is not true at all. There are people in the LGBTQ community who fit that stereotype perfectly, but you cannot paint everybody with the same broad brush. The truth is, most gay people, the majority, just regular folks, right? They got moms and dads and brothers and sisters. They've got jobs to go to, exams to write, uh, bills to pay. They want to cut their grass 
contribute to the community, wave at you when you get into your car to go uh, off somewhere and they want to be left alone. That's most gay people. It would be wrong to assume that everybody in the gay community is mean and angry and wants to fight all the time. So I think that helps us in our tone when sharing the good news of Jesus. Um, the other thing that we often think is that LGBTQ people are not open to the gospel. That also is a mistake. Uh, it is true. It's a little bit tougher of a conversion, I think. Uh, I've got, uh, that's what I educate a lot of Christians on and even how to study the Bible with LGBTQ people. And when we're, just before we finish today, I'll show you a, uh, how you can access a, a video course that I just created on how to share your faith with LGBTQ people that will help you whatever your situation is in. Um, but uh, it would be wrong to think that everybody who's gay is not interested in learning about Jesus. That, that can't be true. There are other Guy Hammonds walking around out there, a lot of people in the LGBTQ community who have not given up on their spiritual moorings and are hoping that they can find a church that is a safe place for them to learn about what it means to follow Jesus and so it would be wrong to assume that. So we need to get rid of those stereotypes uh, and, and really help create a safe place in the church for these people. Now, a lot of times when it comes to sharing good news of Jesus, they think we only have two options. Uh, the first one is repent or perish. Okay, that is a strategy. And, you know, it is true. If people don't repent, they will perish. So... That is an option available to you. I don't know if it's the most strategic, uh, the best strategic one. Uh, I don't know if that's the best one to use. Uh, but then people are also like, well, then the other one has to be complete, complete capitulation, which means I'm just going to give in to everything. And, you know, we don't want to do that either. But there is a third option when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's just this, hospitality. You see, hospitality creates room, time, and space for the gay person trying to come into the church and learn about Jesus. I'm not suggesting we don't acknowledge difference. Let's acknowledge difference. I'm not suggesting we try to hoodwink people and let every, all the LGBT people coming into the church allow them to think and assume that we're a gay-affirming church and then we're going to hoodwink them when we actually study the Bible with them. I'm not suggesting that. Let's acknowledge difference. Let's teach biblical truth. But let us also extend a welcome while people are, are here to learn and question and try to figure things out. If you remember, it took me two years, two years of church, going to church, two years of hearing the gospel message before my heart finally got soft enough where I was willing to have Jesus in my life. But it, it took two years. My question to the church today is this. Can your church be secure enough in its own faith to allow your church to be a place where people who are different than you can come in and learn about what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, I, I'll tell you about how I, I kind of see this going in some churches. Uh, you know, picture a church scene. It's a Sunday morning, uh, and, um, you know, it, it's time of fellowship. The service has just ended, and I'm here with my wife. Uh, oh, that was a great service. Yeah, it was great, honey. Um, hey, honey, look, is that, is that a gay couple? Don't point. Yeah. That, yep, they're gay. Oh my goodness, a gay couple came to church today. That is so cool. I wish you, go, should we go say hi? I, I don't know, should we? I think we should. Okay, let's go. Hey, how you doing? Uh, Guy, Laura, how are you? Nice to meet you. Joe and, and Bob. Joe and Bob. Hey, listen, uh, thanks. 
uh, for coming to Harpeth. Uh, really glad to have you, Joe and Bob. Thanks so much for coming. Okay, well, I hope you guys come back again. Oh, that was so cool, honey. That gay couple came to church. Wow, it's great. Week number two. Hey, honey, is that that gay? Yeah, they're, yeah, that's them. Should we go and go again? They're, I guess it's good they came back. Okay. Hey, Joe and Bob, nice to meet you guys. Thanks for coming to Harpeth. Yeah, that's great. Has anybody asked you guys to study the Bible yet? Not yet. Oh, well, hope that happens soon. Okay, well, nice to meet you guys. Thank you very much. Okay, week number three. Uh, there's that gay couple again. Yeah, Are they still gay? <laughs> it looks like it. Looks like they're still gay. Huh. Uh, all right, let's go back and say hi again. Joe, Bob, Guy, Laura, remember? Yeah, so nice to meet you guys. So thanks for... Thanks for coming. Has any, has yet, have you been in any Bible studies here in the church yet? We have a whole program. And do you, Have you done that? Yeah, Not yet. Okay, well, thanks for coming. Uh, week number four. Uh, they're back again. Oh, my goodness. What the heck is going on in this church? Is anybody going to deal with this? Has any, is anybody helping these people become straight and become Christians? Like, what are we doing in this church? What are people in the community going to start thinking? Uh, our people are going to think that we're a gay affirming church. They're gonna start, what if they start bringing their friends? And we get a whole bunch of gay people coming in here. Then what are people going to think? And by the way, did you hear little Johnny last week asking about who the gay people are? So now the kids are asking. So what kind of example is this to our children in our kids program? So uh, what, what the heck is you know Bobby Harrington in this church doing? What are we paying him for, for pity's sakes? Why isn't somebody dealing with this? I mean, it can get there really fast. My question to the church is, can you be secure enough in your own faith to allow your church to be a place that is safe enough to allow people who are different than you to come and learn about what it means to follow Jesus? Because sometimes the Holy Spirit will move at a different pace than what you would like him to. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to take months or years. Can you live with that? Will your church be a safe place? Next slide, please. Will your church be a safe place for this? There is a difference between acceptance and approval. A lot of times we think, well, if we uh, just uh, accept everybody, that means we approve. But that's not the case at all. You can accept people even though you don't approve of how they're living their lives. I mean, every single one of us in this room today, in the last 24 hours, has said, thought, or done something that Jesus would never approve of, but he does accept us all. So there is a difference between acceptance and approval. We can accept people uh, even though we don't approve. When we live like this, what we're saying is we will not rush to judgment or make assumptions about you. You are a welcome guest here, even though we disagree. Uh, that's how it should be. Uh, would Guy Hammond, when he was living his gay life, have been allowed to come into your church for a period of years and allow the time for the Holy Spirit to do his thing? Like, here's the thing. If, if people get up and leave because they don't like your stance on sexual ethics and they don't agree with what you teach uh, when it comes to um, LGBTQ issues, then let them leave. But at least let them leave saying, oh, I'll tell you what, those people at that church at Harpeth, those people were nuts. But wow, I got to tell you this. I have never met a more loving, kind, and hospitable group of people than the people at that church. I didn't like them. But I didn't like what they were teaching, but boy, were those guys kind and hospitable. Let, let them at least leave uh, saying that. In his book, Atomic Habits, author James Clear says, environment is the invisible hand that shapes human behavior, which means one of the most important things we can do to help people grow is to create environments that encourage and support the choices that lead to growth. 
I'm Abby Barris, a designer and ministry veteran, and I would love to help you create an environment that leads to both personal and organizational growth. You can find me at abbybarrisinteriors.com or at churchdesignhelp.com to learn more and to download your free guide to creating spaces designed for growth. Let us be radical, right? Let's teach biblical truth. I'm not suggesting we not do that. Uh, Let us be honest with the answers that we have. Let us be honest when we don't have an answer. Let us be honest when the answer is not popular, but let us radically serve and love and welcome anybody to come and worship uh, and learn about and be free to ask questions while they build relationship. Uh, A lot of Christians are not very good at building relationships with people they disagree with. We're great at being in relationship with people who agree with us. That we can do really well. But you disagree with me? Oh, we're not really good at that. Christians have got to be able to get along with people who disagree with them. And this is not an issue of uh, conservatism. And this is not an issue of liberalism. It's not conservatism that says, listen, you have to have it all figured out in a matter of time based on, you know, our timeline uh, or you're not welcome in this church anymore, nor is it a stance, a posture of liberal, liberal, liberalism that says you can live however you want. No, it's just a posture that says, listen, these are complex realities. We understand that. And we are willing to allow you to be here. And we want to be kind and hospitable and loving to you while you try to figure things out. It is that. Now, I talked about uh, being born again. Um, and, you know, again, we're talking about tone here. And, you know, it's very a popular notion in our world today that people are absolutely born gay or trans. Here's the thing. That has yet to be proven scientifically. There is not a study out there, a genuine study, that shows that people are born gay. There is no study that shows definitively that homosexuality is a genetically based trait. If somebody comes to you and says, no, there is a study and I saw it, it better come from somewhere other than yahoo.com. Because I'm telling you, uh, we're not there yet. Um, and also, I'll say this. Um, you know, my ability to be able to choose supersedes genetics. So let's say, um, you know, they come along and they do discover a gay gene. Okay, I'm open to that idea. But my ability to choose supersedes genetics. I'm not an animal. Uh, I have a brain. I can decide my, I can decide how I want to live morally. I was at an event not too long ago in Chicago. And, uh, when I got to this point, somebody yelled out, Oh yeah? What about the animal kingdom? I was like, what about the animal kingdom? They were like, well, they're involved in homosexuality. That proves it's genetic. I was like, that doesn't prove anything. It just proves that they're animals. Like, <laughs> animals live on instinct. There's no morality. There's no decision-making. But I'm not an animal. I get to choose how I'm going to live my life, how I'm going to live my life. And so it's not, it's not fair to say that, um, you know, I don't get to choose. I do get to choose. So here's the thing. When people today say, I was born this way, I disagree with them because we don't know that definitively yet. However, when it comes to tone, I really don't want to fight and argue that with people in the LGBTQ world. I'm not going to make it a point of contention. No, I, it's not proven. Uh, there's no study yet that shows definitively that homosexuality is a genetically based trait. I, listen, I understand why they feel like they were born this way because I feel like I was born this way. It's all I've ever known, at least since we're around 12 years old. And trust me, if I could have figured out a way to change this by now, I would have. 
And yet here I am, 35 years a Christian, been mar- was married for 28 years, raised a family, have been in full-time ministry, uh, you know, tried to live a holy, godly life. Haven't done it, you know, perfectly, but I have done it faithfully. And yet here I am still 100% attracted uh, to men. Uh, the sad truth is, I hope this doesn't sound too crude, uh, but you know, you could put me in a room with 20 of the most beautiful, uh, you know, models in the world uh, who are women and have them undress in front of me. And honestly, I would rather watch the hockey game. Like, I just don't care. Okay? So, yeah, I understand why people say I was born this way. I get it. Because I feel like I was born this way. I haven't been able to change it. It's like my skin color. I can't change my skin color. I can't change uh, what I'm attracted to. So when people say that, I understand. I, I feel compassionate. I feel like, yeah, I know. Man, that's hard. Man, imagine having a capability that, that you feel so strongly, and yet here's the faith that says, yeah, this is not compatible with what we teach. And so you have to figure out how to live with that. It's tough, man. It's tough. So I have a lot of compassion for LGBTQ people when they say I was born this way. I know it's not true. And here's how I reason things. Let's say I woke up, you know, when I said uh, my ability to be able to choose supersedes genetics. Let's say I woke up tomorrow morning in Nashville and all of a sudden I found girls attractive. That would, that would be pretty remarkable because I've never found a girl attractive before. But let's say I did. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure what difference that would make to my life because... As a follower of Jesus, I'm not allowed to think anything I want, do anything I want. Um, I have to live my life with boundaries and restraint. Strive to live a holy life. Uh, if I'm attracted to guys, okay, I'm not allowed to think anything I want, do anything I want. I have to live my life with boundaries and restraint. I have to strive to live a holy life. So if I'm attracted to girls, I have to live a holy life. If I'm attracted to guys, I have to live a holy life. So what do I care what I'm attracted to? I just am going to try to live a holy life. Uh, now, sometimes um, people will make uh, this argument, uh, and, and this has become very popular in our world today. Uh, and my, my latest book that I've written, I don't have it available here this weekend, but if you're ever interested, it's called Gay and Christian. You can get it at Amazon. But I, I wrote a book on taking apart the top arguments of pro-gay apologists and Bible revisionists who say that you can be gay and a Christian. We have a world today, right, that says God created homosexuality, he celebrates homosexuality, uh, the Bible has been mistranslated, taken out of context, uh, it's really talking about pedophilia and idol worship and on and on and on. There's all these qualifiers that people throw in there now. And, you know, the, there was no such thing as the word homosexual in the Bible before 1946. And so it can't be what they're talking about. And poor Moses and Paul, I mean, those guys lived thousands of years ago, different culture, different time. I take apart all the top arguments of gay affirming churches, uh, Bible revisionists who have changed all this stuff. And I just take apart their arguments one by one as to why they're wrong. Gay and Christian. You can get it at Amazon. Um, but let me just speak about this here briefly, because I've heard this argument. You know, listen, don't tell me that being gay is a sin, because here's the thing. I go to church. I'm very serious about my faith. I read my Bible. I pray. I contribute to my community. I love Jesus. And I see God's blessings in my life. And I see God working in my life. And when I worship God, I connect with God. So don't be telling me that I can't be gay and a Christian, because if that was the case, how could I be gay and it be sinful and yet experience all these blessings from God? How do we, how do we respond to that? Well, in the proper tone, you know, I think, I think we have to start by admitting 
that how we encounter God in our private lives and determine whether we have his blessing and approval, I mean, it's kind, kind of subjective, right? I mean, when we spend time in worship, it's true, we can be overcome with emotion, and when this occurs, we may indeed be experiencing God's closeness. It's also true, though, that if we're involved in unrepentant sin, he's withdrawn from us, and what we're experiencing are only feelings and emotions fooling ourselves into thinking that we're experiencing the closeness of God. Go ahead and read Hebrews 10, 26 to 31 for a Bible reference on that. Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. And get this, this one always rocks my world. But according to 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it's even feasible that we could be undergoing a demonic presence and attribute those emotions to being in the presence of God. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. So because of its subjectiveness and the fact that God is free to show himself to whomever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, I quite frankly think it's futile to try to challenge somebody's personal encounter with the Lord. Instead, we should challenge their conclusion that says, because I love God and feel his presence, this must mean that he approves of my homosexuality. Listen, just because a person reads their Bible and prays every day, is active member of their local church, and feels close to God doesn't mean that God approves of the lives they're living. Here's the question we should be asking. Does the presence of God equal the approval of God? Does the presence of God equal the approval of God? It does not. Look, for instance, at the seven churches addressed in the book of Revelation. Of those seven, five of them were rebuked because of unrepentant sin. And over and over again, the Lord repeated that in spite of the good things they had accomplished, nevertheless, he said, I have this against you. And told them if they didn't repent, they would be removed from God's presence. Were these people Christians? Yes. Did they love? Did Jesus love them? Yes. But these facts did not legitimize their sin. The Lord was telling them that they were in sin and calling them to repentance. Or what about the story of Ananias and Sapphira? A husband and wife team in Acts chapter 5 who sold a piece of property and then when handing over the money to the apostles lied about the amount so they could keep some for themselves. Their penalty for lying was death. Did Jesus love Ananias and Sapphira? Yes. Would we be able to point to other areas of the lives of Ananias and Sapphira to find blessings in their lives? I'm sure we probably could have. Were Ananias and Sapphira Christians? Evidently. But those facts didn't legitimize their sin. So when people reason that they must have God's approval of their homosexuality because they're Christian, love God, and feel those closeness, we can gently, respectfully, kindly remind them that God's love does not equal God's approval. You might indeed feel his closeness. That doesn't mean he's approving how you're living your life in other areas. Uh, the word of God is what tells us what God approves of, not your feelings and your emotions. Uh, another thing I'd like to throw in here is uh, to parents. Again, the conversation is on tone. 
You know, when little Johnny comes home and tells mommy and daddy that he's gay or trans, you can imagine how difficult that would be for a parent to hear that news. Uh, it feels like a whole world has exploded and the, a bomb has gone off in the middle of their home. And uh, that would be incredibly difficult. What, what should a parent or grandparent say when little Johnny or little Susie comes home to announce they're gay or trans? What tone should we use in this kind of situation? Well, I uh, often tell people, the first thing you should say is not the first thing you're thinking. I mean, your head is going... The first thing you should say, and I, I think... Parents of young children should even pr practice this because you're going to hear something someday. It may not be LGBTQ, but you're going to find out something that your kid is doing that you're like, oh my gosh, they're going to come home and tell you something. And so I tell parents, get ready. But the first thing you should say is something like, wow, son, daughter, can't believe how difficult that must have been to come home and tell me that. Uh, listen, there isn't anything you could do that would make me love you less. I'm your dad, I'm your mom, and I'm sorry you're experiencing this right now. And I'm here for you. And we're gonna figure this thing out together. So thank you for telling me. I so appreciate it. Now, here's the thing, little Johnny. You've been thinking about this for a long time. And I just found out 30 seconds ago so could you give mom or dad a break and just give us like till tomorrow? Let us think about this and then tomorrow, let's get back together again. And son or daughter, I want to hear your story. I want to hear your experience. I want to know why you're thinking that. I want to know what's happened. I want to know what's, what's propelling this in your heart and your thinking right now. Uh, help us understand. And we want, to, we want to keep talking, but son, daughter, we love you. Thank you. Big hug, right? Um, because what you want to do, parent, is you want to keep the conversation going. Now, it, you might be thinking, this can't be real. This is not legitimate. I'm not going to legitimize this. No. Uh, listen, don't worry about legitimizing. What you need to do is prioritize it. Is it real? Is it not real? I don't know. The kid's 13. Maybe it's real. Maybe it isn't. We don't know yet. But to him or to her, it's real. So you got to lean in and go, okay, to them... This is real. So I am going to, I'm going to prioritize this, not worry about whether I'm legitimizing it or not, and uh, have these conversations with my kid and, and bring Jesus into these conversations. That's the tone we need to have. Now, what about just people in general uh, when they disagree with us? You know, the, um, when I first started my ministry, uh, uh, I started getting invited to speaking at different uh, events. Next slide, please. And... Um, so one of the first places I went to, I was invited to speak at the University of Southern Maine. And uh, anyway, when uh, the gay rights group on campus heard that I was coming to speak about Jesus and the Bible and our relationship with all things LGBTQ, the gay rights group on campus, you know, got very upset and angry and, and uh, were very intent on shutting it down. So they went and they tried, they spoke to the president of the school and they weren't going to shut it down. And they were like, you know, they have the right to talk about this. And, you know, so they all came prepared to fight and argue. And I'll never forget driving into the parking lot um, that night. My wife was with me. And all outside, 
the uh, place where this was being held, there was all these protesters and they had signs and rainbows and banners and buttons and they were all ready for a fight. And, and uh, I was like, oh man, all these people are here to protest against me. And so I was like, do we have to go through the front entrance? Like, can't we just squeeze in through the back somewhere? And um, anyway, what had happened was um, when they found out they couldn't cancel it, what they did was they uh, printed up t-shirts that said, don't listen to Guy on it. And they handed them out in mass to all these students. So when I got in there to speak, all these students came in and all these students had t-shirts on it that said, don't listen to Guy. And um, anyway, the, the, and the church that night, they, they uh, were really smart in how they handled it. Um, when they realized there were protesters, uh, they ended up feeding them all. And so uh, somebody went to like Subway and they got all these subs and drinks and candy and chips and everything else. And so everyone's yelling and screaming. Uh, and then, you know, but then the Christians started growing around and handing out subs and chips and candy. And it's kind of hard to yell and scream and swear at somebody when you've got a sub in your mouth. And so that really helped, you know. Um, uh, next slide, please. But this is, you know, what, uh, what I've experienced as I've traveled uh, around the world speaking on these complex issues. I've had a lot of people angry and upset with me and have said a lot of horrible things about me. In fact, I can tell you that some of the nastiest emails I've ever gotten are from Christians who disagree with how I think we should deal with these issues. Uh, let me tell you about another event that happened uh, at Rutgers University. Um, I, I was invited to speak at Rutgers. And then about a week before I got to this event, um, the uh, people who had invited me called and said, hey, listen, um, there's a big ruckus about the fact that you're coming and they've tried to get this event canceled and there's a bunch of gay rights groups from the community who are coming. They've promised to interrupt the event and you know they could cause some serious trouble. We think there's going to be some local press there. Uh, you know, So I, I've, I think we've gone ahead and decided that we're going to hire some protection, have some police there to make sure that you're safe. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it could be quite a ruckus evening. Anyway, I'm sure it'll be fine, and I'll see you next week. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, I'm a good Canadian, right? I just want to be loved by everybody. I don't want to fight and argue with anybody. You know, it's not my goal to have everybody upset with me, and yet here I am going to this event, and there's going to be all these protesters, and they're going to want to fight, yell, and argue with me. So anyway, um, I got to this thing, and the room was 200 seats. It was just packed with protesters. And, you know, so many protesters that half of them were out in the hall. The other 200 were in the room. And so I had two talks that night. So, you know, I was really surprised, actually. I did my first talk, and everybody's kind of calm. Everybody's watching, listening. Uh, by the time I was getting around in my second talk, things started getting, people started yelling out and disagreeing with me. And I was supposed to have a time for Q&A, but I was like, oh, man, this is getting really crazy. So I thought, I'm just going to shut this thing down. And then... Um, uh, as I started to walk away from the microphone, somebody yelled out, hey, uh, we were told uh, that you'd be here until 9 o'clock, and it's only 8.30, and I have a question. And I was like, oh, man, this is not good. So I went back to the mic, and all these hands went up. People stood up. People started yelling and screaming, and the room got out of control. And I was like, where's that police officer they were talking about? And I thought, I don't even know where to start here. And so I just looked over, and I don't even, didn't even know who it was. I just saw this lady, and I said, you, yeah, you, go ahead. What do, you, what do you want to say? And she stood up, and she said in the top left there, um, she said, you know, actually, I'm the organizer of the protest. She goes, I, I'm the president of the LGBTQ community who organized this tonight. And she says, you know, the truth is, you are not what we were expecting. 
Um, truth is, uh, I've never heard a Christian talk about homosexuality in the Bible the way you did tonight. And she said, if this is what Christianity is, this is what the whole world needs. Now, I'm not telling you I want to become a Christian or join your church. I'm just telling you, I've never heard this perspective before. So she said to all the other protesters in the room, put your, put your hands down. Put your hands, put your hands down. We're not going to bother this guy. Um, you know what? He's different. We don't agree with him, but you know what? He came in and he was kind, respectful, and you know what? We're just not going to, we're not going to give this guy a hard time. And I felt so relieved. I was like, oh, thank God, you know, that we didn't need the police officers there to get me out of there alive. But here's the thing. Uh, first of all, uh, I, wanna, I want you to know that I want to give you permission to not have to be in a fight. If somebody wants to fight and argue, if they're going to be unreasonable, you can't reason with unreasonable people. If people want to fight, yell and argue, and just, you know, they're going like this, I give you permission to not be in a fight. Feel free to say, you know what, I'd love to have an honest dialogue, open Bible, sit down, let's talk. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You hear what I have to say, uh, you know, on these issues. But uh, if it's just this and you want, you're mad and angry and you're not even willing to listen, then I, I probably, you're not interested in that. So thank you. And you just walk away. I give you permission to not be in an argument. Okay. I'm gonna, I want to close with this. I want to introduce you to somebody here. Um, this is my a son, Wyatt, in the middle. Wyatt's 27 years old, lives in my community north of Toronto. Uh, on the right there is one of my best friends. His name is Clyde. Here's the thing. Clyde is a gay man. Been with the same partner for about 28 years, and Clyde is heavily involved in the gay community. Clyde and I don't have anything in common. He's an atheist. He thinks I've lost my mind. He thinks my story is ridiculous. Uh, that I he, he thinks it's ridiculous that I don't try to embrace homosexuality since I'm attracted to men. Doesn't understand my world at all. Uh, and um, uh, the the guy can't get through a sentence without dropping a couple of f bombs. We disagree on politics. We would disagree on everything. And yet he's one of my best friends. Uh, how did that happen? Well, when my wife was dying of brain cancer, my son Wyatt in the middle there came home to help out. He had been going to university in Canada and uh, he wanted to spend his final months with his mom. And so he came to help. And he also wanted to help out financially. So he got a job at a local restaurant and Clyde is a chef. And Clyde was, uh, Clyde was his boss. So when Clyde found out that Wyatt's mom was dying, he was so moved by that, he came over and visited our family. He started making food and bringing it over and getting to know us, and he just became a great friend. During the final few weeks of Kathy's life, she was in a hospice facility. And Clyde was like, I got this. You guys just need to sit around uh, the bed and be with your dying wife and dying mother. Don't worry about food. I got it. And so Clyde started making all these meals and, and bringing it to the hospice facility. And he would feed the doctors, the nurses, all the Christians who came to visit. Everybody loved Clyde. Uh, and he took care of our family. Did I care that he was gay? Did I care? No, listen, what was my tone going to be with Clyde? <laughs> Nothing but love and appreciation. Uh, a movie was made about my life called Finding Guy. Um, we used churches as movie theaters for a couple of years, and now it's just on YouTube. You can watch it on YouTube if you're ever interested, Finding Guy. But uh, um, the movie makers thought it would be interesting to do a little interview between Clyde and myself. So this is just about uh, two minutes, and when we're done, uh, I thought I'd share a little bit of, of this 
video because this is what I'm talking about. The gift of hospitality. How our tone matters. How we can accept even though we don't approve. How we can be kind, loving, and hospitable with people even when, we, even when they're living lives that we don't agree with. How is it possible that a Christian man who believes that homosexuality is sinful and a man who's living an active gay life can be best friends? Um, this is how. Go ahead and play that, please. Okay, so we're sitting here with Guy Hammond, the CEO of Strength and Weakness Ministries, an international ministry that helps same-sex attracted Christians lead lives for Jesus, and Clyde, who has lived an active gay lifestyle and has been with his partner now for... 26 his... years. Okay, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to draw out this statement, okay? okay? Yeah. A Christian and a gay man fundamentally should not be friends. Says who? A gay man and a Christian can't be friends. That's ridiculous. I mean, look like at this. Who, who said, who, yeah. Yeah. Who's going to tell us that we can't be friends? Nobody, because right? I'll throw punch them. You'll throw punch them? Yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I probably won't throw punch them. Are we going to be that shallow? Are we going to be, uh, you know, yeah, are we going to be that shallow as a human being that we're going to allow this, uh, whether somebody's gay or not or a Christian or not, to dictate whether we can be friends? That's ridiculous. Well, for me, the friendship outweighs any of the natives. Like, I can understand why Christians may have an outlook on gay people. I don't want to go see a bunch of out on a gay pride parade. That's not what it's about. So it's no wonder they get upset. It upsets me as a gay male. A lot of Christians assume that everyone who's gay is an activist. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that they, they want to fight and argue and be on a float in a parade. But the truth is, most gay people are just regular folks. They, they want to... I'm at home. I'm a homemaker. I work. I'm a human being. We are all human beings. Yes, you may not agree with my lifestyle. What really happened that made us bond was that my wife, Kathy, became very ill. And um, Clyde heard about this, and out of the goodness of his heart, this guy started making meals and driving them out to this hospice facility to feed my family and I as we sat around my wife's deathbed. And um, he just so endeared himself to me and my family. Uh, and I would try to remind people that, you know, Christians, that uh, this is what Jesus was known for, uh, being friends of and getting along with people with whom he disagreed. And so this is living, breathing proof that we can disagree but still accept each other and be kind to each other. And we can agree friends. to disagree. Yeah, that's right. And we're going to get along. Yeah. So Clyde, you've seen the movie Finding Guy and you're familiar with Guy's teachings and his stance on things. Um, who do you think should watch this movie? Oh, I think Christians, gay, straight, trans, anybody should watch this movie. It, as a gay male, it was really an eye-opener for me. I learned things. I guess what I'm trying to say is... I'm not a religious person, but to see my friend have that much faith in his God to want to live that lifestyle is very powerful. Um, I'm not there yet. Maybe one day I will be there. Right now, I love my life. 26 years, same partner. Um, but it, it could change. I even cried at the end of this movie. I won't give it away, but uh, it was very powerful at the ending. And if you watch the movie, you'll know what I mean. Well, we just want to thank Guy Hammond for walking us through this, talking about his own spiritual journey, describing what it looks like to respond with grace and truth in these difficult conversations today as a Christian.
We hope that you join us on Tuesday as we have another breakout session for you then.